Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Let's take this outside with Marianne Iveson, the podcast where she speaks to athletes, outdoor professionals, and scientists about why they connect with nature. Will Gadd is one of the top adventure athletes in the world. He is a National Geographic Adventurer of the Year and recently became the first person to climb a frozen Niagara Falls. He is best known for wild outdoor adventures in multiple different sports, but he's most proud of his ability to complete these adventures safely and share them with others. He has appeared in, hosted, or produced more than 100 global TV projects. He is an award-winning writer, filmmaker, and dad. Please welcome one of my new favorite outdoor dudes. Here is Will Gadd. Will Gadd, welcome to Let's Take This Outside, and you are hiking up a hill to go climbing. That's right. Here in the Canadian Rockies, another view for you. Doesn't suck. I am outside. I'm following the... uh, following the directions on your podcast. <laughs> yeah, you know what? I should start putting that like the mandatory interview is is you physically being outside. I should also be on a hike. I'm sure the internet service would be very reliable. <laughs> it's pretty good for about the next 20 minutes. So we'll we'll get this done. I like it. Okay. Uh will you and your family live in Camor, right? That's right. Camor, Alberta. Yeah, there's always a love fest for for Camor. I'm sure you would know some of the other guests I've had. But how did you end up settling there with your family? I couldn't think of a better place in Canada for what you do. I think you just said it. There's no better place in Canada for what I do. There's a uh, a lot of ice climbing here. I'm a guide, so got a lot of good guests that come here and great ice climbing. And it's just a you know it's a pretty good place to live. But it, you know, but we're battling the same mountain town battles as everyone in terms of affordable housing for people who do live here and try to work here it's it's gotten tough but uh yeah i mean look where we are it's ridiculous so there it is so my sister lived in canmore for years and i know a lot of people who did live in canmore uh but a lot of people moving to like cochran or calgary but still so accessible to the mountains i'm sure you you know you have a lot of friends in the same boat yeah i've lost a lot of friends from town over the years who have had to move to golden cochran Calgary, Revelstoke, which is not much cheaper now, but uh, yeah, it's a it's a problem. You know, we can have access, but if there's no housing, then people can't live here, especially with families. There's re- it's really hard to make that work now, and it's it's too bad. It's a problem. You were one of the best adventure athletes in the world, but where where did this start from you? What did your childhood look like? How do you become this world famous ice climber? <laughs> well, world famous is relative is like four people I know, in airports. <laughs> ever, but, uh, um, the, uh, you know, I grew up, I grew up in the Canadian Rockies in Calgary and Jasper and then lived in the U S Rockies and had a pretty good career in publishing. But ever since I was young, my parents would take me into the mountains and it's contagious, you know, obviously that's what it caught with me. And I'm still going into the mountains with, with my family today. And uh, the, the ice climbing part, I just like it and find it fulfilling and somehow made a career out of it. I think it was Seth Ferris. He's a interesting individual, but he's like, you don't have to be the best. You just have to be the only. 
And so I'm kind of, the, I was, the, I was the world's first professional icicle climber and it worked out for me and I'm, I'm very lucky. You became the first person to ice climb Niagara Falls. Yeah. What does this process look like? Like, who do you talk to that you're like, I want to climb the, like, where does this even start? And then, like the execution of it, where you tear, like, what does that look like? You know, it's like any project, you find out who you need to get a permit from, whether it's construction or climbing Niagara Falls, and then you call them up, you know, like, can I have a permit? And they say no. And then you have to make it so that it's a good, it's a good win for everybody. And it took two years out of my life going back and forth to Buffalo, New York to get those permits. And I had a lot of help from Red Bull and um, people in the ice climbing community. And so it took a while, but uh, just getting mauled by a tree there. <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's a long process. The, the climb the climb was difficult, but the permits were really difficult. That's what took the most amount of time. Do you find that the red tape is the hardest part of what you do is fine is just like getting to the act, like doing the climb is probably just the best part and probably so rewarding for you, but like the red tape around it to actually do the climb must be annoying. Yeah. For Niagara Falls in particular, most of the time we're lucky enough to still live in a world where we can go ice climbing and climb, you know, paddling and paragliding with relatively few restrictions. So (laughs) we're on a project like Niagara. Yeah. (laughs) It was like any, I spoke at a construction conference yesterday and uh they were we were, we were all laughing about the, the permitting process for niagara because they go through the same thing and it's and it's you know it's like we know how to build stuff that's the easy part but yeah i think it's a common problem and for good reason you know you can't have people putting up random buildings or random people climbing niagara falls that's not gonna work out how does production tv film still fit into your life you mentioned you were in publishing but does that like scratch a different creative itch for you and like kind of what does that look like right now yeah i really like doing tv programs and i'm moving more toward doing um i used to do sort of two or three big ones a year and i'm moving more toward doing multiple small ones that seems to be you know the long form content works on netflix but (laughs) pretty pretty hard to do elsewhere and plus it's more fun to do different things so I'm, i'm doing more more short form stuff, smaller crews again. And for me, that's more fulfilling at this point, but I've got a couple big ones still in the can for sure. <laughs> what, is there anything you can talk about? Is there anything that you, uh, that you can mention? Well, a really cool one was, uh, last summer getting a scientist, planetary geologist. So this, this one super smart figures out how planets form. And I was helping her in Baffin Island get rock samples to further her research. So that was that's pretty cool, and that film was done and will be coming out. That was a big production, um, and a couple other ones I can't talk about yet. <laughs> There's good things coming. Whether it's ice climbing, paragliding, kayaking, do you still get nervous? Do you still get adrenaline rushes, or has your body just taken this total zen state that you that you're like everything's chill and cool and like you know you have that mountain attitude and that like that chill sense about you (laughs) well if i get a big adrenaline rush something is probably gone fairly seriously wrong so (laughs) i I try to avoid that and i never got into these sports because of the adrenaline it was like they're really interesting and really difficult to do well like if i just wanted adrenaline i could go run back and forth on the highway right tons of adrenaline there i could wear a blindfold (laughs) and (laughs) get shitloads of adrenaline that way but that's not why we do mountain sports it's because they're really 
rewarding and beautiful and with good people and good places. And so that's, that's the reward for sure. But, uh, so I don't, you know, if I'm scared, for example, then I tend to stop and try to figure out why and, and what's going on and listen to that fear, not ignore it. I think that's one of the great sort of fallacies of our age is you're trying to overcome your fear in the mountains. And I don't think that's a good idea. Like overcome your fear to call for a date. Excellent idea. You know, pick up that phone. It's a numbers game. Get it done. Dating advice with Will Gad. I wasn't expecting this. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, overcome your fear. Pick up that phone, you know. And uh, but for things like if you feel fear in the mountains, then you should listen to that and try to figure out what's going on and fix it. You know, that's not a place where you overcome your fear. In high consequence environments like the mountains always are, you, you don't want to be like, you know, you don't want to be like the YouTube guy. I got this. <laughs> no, it's not the way yeah. forward. We gotta. We want to be good at what we do and safe. Would you say it has a lot to do with respecting Mother Nature and what it's telling you and being able to read it? I, th- I think the mountains are very, very real. There is no mysticism here. It's like you either get it right or you get chopped off and. It's, the mountains care zero about us. We are irrelevant. And I think it's really important to go at it with an attitude of humility and be like, yeah, we are inconsequential here. And what we need to do is act that way and stay out of the way of the dangerous stuff. It's not, yeah. I think humans, we tend to think we're something special and we're not. We're just another chunk of dirt wandering around. So get out of the way. I uh, I especially feel that you know when when I'm out there um, in in the in the Rockies is there something kind of like I, I feel the insignificance but there's something kind of beautiful about being and it makes me feel more connected to everything else feeling so small and and insignificant right? Well, I think the anthropologists and and sci- you know the people who study this would argue that we're really well su- suited for this environment right like this is great we're we're wired for it we do feel connected to it. And we do feel involved because we have to be to make good decisions here. And so when we get into the city, we're not really built to be like surrounded by a lot of other people who we don't know. Like it's kind of a hostile environment in your average city compared to being out here. And the dangers are often not things we're super good at dealing with. Whereas out here, we, uh, you know, it's, we, we know to take care when there's a big drop off or something else. And Yeah. I uh, I kind of regret not not setting this up uh, for in person that we could hike together. <laughs> that would have been great. <laughs> I'm a little jealous right now of uh, of your of your hiking. Yeah, she's she's going fast. I can't go to her as fast as she can and talk. So as as, you, as your wife, yeah, yeah. Hi, I'm Steve Yurko, and I'm Tara Sands. Now available from Maji Media is our new podcast, Four Kids Flashback. Four Kids is the company who brought you the English dub of Pokemon in the late 90s and so many other shows like Yu-Gi-Oh!, Shaman King, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Kirby, the infamous One Piece dub, and so many more. We'll be talking to the people who worked at Four Kids. Actors, directors, writers, editors, producers, engineers, you get the point. And hopefully get the answers to questions both you and I have about the company. I actually worked there as a voice actor on some of the shows. And I was a kid watching the shows and remember way more than Tara does. 
and thank God for that. Steve is actually a professional storyboard artist, which gives some really unique insights into anime and animation. Subscribe today wherever you get your podcasts. That's the number four kids flashback. Let's take this outside now has a newsletter. Keep up to date with outdoor news, events, and great discount codes and deals from our partners. Sign up today at Let's Take This Outside. How do you take what you've learned from your adventures into your everyday life as a partner and a dad? Well, I think there's, they're just all, it's all the same to me. You know, people talk about like risk management. We do that on the job or in the mountains, but we also do that with our kids. And the idea is to set our minds and our systems up so that we can do the stuff we really want to do with an acceptable level of risk. And it's, it's never risk-free. Anything worthwhile has both an up and a downside, which is kind of the definition of risk. So I'm running that all the time and trying to teach my kids, you know, we've got this bumps and bruises, hospital death, consequence scale that we use. And I use that with guests as well. It's like, you know, if something goes sideways here, what are the, what's the outcome? So yeah, it's, it's all the time. And I think, you know, people don't think about it. We're making those decisions when we're driving, skiing, climbing, whatever. It's, it's all the same matrix. And the more you work with that, the better you get at it. And the more conscious and solid you can make it. So, yeah, all the time. <laughs> I'm assuming that your your wife is quite an uh, accomplished climber herself. Yeah, she's a, she's a Association of Canadian Mountain Guides, Alpine Guide and Examiner for the, the ACMG. And very, very good ice climber. And yeah, phenomenal, phenomenal in the mountains. She's much... Honestly, she's better at it than I am. She's very, very good. I'd send the kids out with her before me. <laughs> uh, do you, I was going to say, does that have anything to do with the fact that um, she's a woman and maybe a different, like she has a different level of care than, uh, than, you, than you gentlemen do? Or? Yeah, I, yeah it's, I've, I've had to deal with sort of gender, gender slash sex, sex slash, you know, however you want to look at it, stereotypes or differences my whole career. When I started this, I was like, everybody's the same. You know, it's like we shouldn't treat somebody differently because they're they're male or female. And and that's that's not so accurate. People do learn really differently. And as a good instructor, you always want to pay attention to the person and how they learn. But I find that most women are a lot better than they think they are. They have a higher level of skill, whereas mm-hmm. most men think they're better than they are. And I'll be honest, I'm totally sexist about that with guys. I'm like, I got my eye on you. What I was saying um, was that, yeah, I, I find that women um, maybe have a more sense of, of care and patience. And, uh, but what you're saying about when it comes to men and like being more, that, that also translates into the workplace, right? There's a stat about men, um, say there's a job application, there's 10 qualifications. If men have like two, like a bunch of men will apply. If women don't have 10 of them, we won't apply. I don't know the exact (laughs) stat of that, but that translates into almost a lot of things in life still in 2023, right? Well, as as a dad of two daughters, I also have to deal with this, right? And, and I think a lot of the reason men often get better faster at these sports is they just hog the time in any situation (laughs) and so they they do it more and they're overconfident and so it either works out or it doesn't but yeah i think it's a spectrum you know there's men who fall very much toward 
what we think is of the female side of the spectrum and women who fall very much toward the male side of it. But it is a, I don't think we want to try and treat, you know, we want to deal with the individual and figure out where they are mm -hmm. to get the best results for them as educators. But we, we do have to deal with these differences. And, the, and it's, I, you know, I teach women generally differently than I, than I teach men to get better results. But I don't know. I'll probably get some hate mail on that one or something, but that's how I see it. You, I don't think so at all. Um, what, have we, what have your daughters latched onto when it comes to the outdoors? What are they into? Well, one daughter is into gymnastics. So, uh, but she loves to go mountain biking and she's a, a wicked little boulder and, and loves to just be outside and do stuff. And the older one is, is climbing um, and likes going hiking and backpacking is great for both of them. That's probably our main sort of all family activity is to go backpacking or road tripping together. And that's what we do is hike places. And, you know, my older daughter's 15. My version of hiking and hers don't always line up. But, uh, you know, <laughs> once we get out there, she usually has a pretty good time. And that's just, you got to kind of, your job as a parent is not always to do what the kid wants. Sometimes you got to lead a bit and get them out there. What is that sport for you that kind of grounds you that you always kind of end up doing? Is it climbing? Is it hiking? Is it like for me, for me, it's hiking. I just get to slow down yeah. and breathe in nature. Like, what is it for you? I think just moving outside is the best thing for me. You know, the climbing is really mm -hmm. good. But one of the reasons we're going climbing where we're going climbing today is it's this big walk up there. And we know, you know, we've got some business problems to resolve right now. Just standard life stuff that you, you have to sort through. And sometimes it's challenging. And I know I'm going to feel a lot better about it when I get up there than I did sitting at my desk at you know, 7.30 this morning trying to make sense of it all. So yeah, for you, it's hiking. I'd say hiking for me too. But you know, a good day on the river, that's gorgeous. A good day climbing, good day paragliding. I don't think these sports are as separate as people tend to look at them. Um, they're, they're all kind of getting you out into beautiful places and doing cool things. I was going to ask, and I know you're going to go climbing in just a second here, and you're probably going to run out of service soon, so I won't keep you much longer. <laughs> I actually stopped. I'm, I've got to go to the canyon here, and I don't want to lose you. We're getting this done after like eight tries, so I'm not giving up. I know, no, I, I know, I know. I just, I'm, I'm very happy with this. Yeah, yeah that's better. How does, we, you kind of just answered it, but how does the outdoors and nature play into what you do when it comes to care and climate change? I'm sure you see it in ice climbing over the years, and uh, maybe the weather uh, in Canmore, and uh, how how does that all intertwine for you? When I was a kid, we would go to the Athabasca Glacier, get out of the car, and the glacier was sort of a very short stroll away. And now it's up over a rock hump, down a little valley, across the flats. It's a very long way away. And I see that all over the world. So for me, climate change isn't abstract. I'm seeing it first person. People say, well, it's happened before. It's like, yes, but not at this rate. I think that's very, very conclusive. And we're driving that. So I am trying to be an advocate for looking at that differently and also sharing the experience of what I see with people. I don't want to lecture them. I want to show them because I think it's pretty, pretty darn obvious. Like, you know, maybe if you live in Toronto or New York or a big city, like imagine if you showed up and half your office building was missing. And that's what happens to me when I go to march up a glacier with a guest to get to a climb and the glacier is completely different. And now we're having that happen every season here in the Rockies. Same with guides in the Alps and the Andes and the Himalaya. It, this is this is really radical, and um, so for me, it's a it's a drive to try and be part of the solution and and just spread what I show, I show what I can, show what I can, spread it around to people. You know, that's but yeah, it's a big deal. 
I'll make sure to link uh, all of your everything um, that you're doing in the show notes and everything. But uh, the whole point of this podcast, and let's take this outside, is to encourage people to do what they love in the outdoors. It could yeah. be walking. It could be paragliding. Um, if you have any very like basic advice for people who are like, I should probably, I should probably try that thing that I've always wanted to try, or I want to do that thing more that I know I love and I don't have time for. What would you say? Go do it. <laughs> you, just go, you know, <laughs> most of these, one of the great things about these sports, like if you want to play in the NBA or, or, you know, some pro sports league, you're not getting on the floor with LeBron James or whatever sports idol you have. But you walk out the door here, you could go and you're in this beautiful place right away, the best of the best. And I think that's magic about the outdoors. And you have to get some education. But I do think we're relatively well adapted, generally speaking, to seeing the hazards in the natural environment. In, in a way, sometimes we, we aren't in, in cities. You know, it's like we see a bear, we're like, a bear, <laughs> generally, most people, you know, um, or a thunderstorm coming. It's like, yeah, get to shelter. Those things are pretty basic. But some education going out with a group, there's, there's alpine clubs and hiking clubs and groups of people that have some collective knowledge almost everywhere in the world. So get a hold of them. And, you know, we at the outdoors, we're a bit, we're proselytizers. We're like, this is great. You should do it. We'll take you for free. So yeah, get involved and, and uh, get out there. I'm actually speaking on Sunday to a group of, of new Canadians um, in the Filipino community here. They're awesome. They've been getting out in the mountains, but I'm going to talk about exactly what we're talking about, some of the common hazards and, and how to deal with them. And yeah, they're doing great. They're out there all the time and they're, they're not super experienced, but listen to that fear um, too. If it feels weird, don't do it. <laughs> my sister and a bunch of friends in Calgary in the area, every time I go out there, they're like slow. Like, it's almost like a, like, I feel like the next time I'm there, there's going to be an intervention for me to move there. I feel like <laughs> I'm like, we need to talk. You need to come out here. So awesome. hopefully- Hopefully we can go for a hike sometime or a cl- or maybe I can uh, get you to, to guide me up a nice climb or something. I would love, love that. To. I'd love that. And yeah, well, I, I would encourage, I do think what you just said, people get worried, you know, they, they read about the one media report of a, of a bear incident or something. And they're like, that's going to happen every day. But there's in the Valley I am, there's hundreds, if not thousands of people hiking around every day and not making the media. It's like, you got pretty good odds <laughs> in this place of, of getting back. So don't let that stop you. Get out there. You can do it. Take your kids. They're way better behaved outside than they are inside. So are you. You know, It's not just about the kids behaving better. The parents do better too. We're, we're in control of the environment. Oddly, by losing control, we get control. Like you're either hungry, cold, or tired. We could fix those things out here. Whereas in the city, you got all these weird things you got to deal with. You know, <laughs> It's really complicated. But uh, kids and adults do way better out here. So I, I just hope that everybody has the chance to do that. Will, uh, thank you so much for taking time. I'm so glad we could finally do this. Yeah, thank you for your flexibility and dealing with some of the chaos of my life. I really appreciate it. And Yeah, if anybody has any questions, in all seriousness, I owe a huge debt to everybody that taught me how to do these these outdoor activities. And if they drop me a line, I will reply. Sometimes, as as you know all too well, (laughs) I'm a bit slow on that, but I will get back to you. I'd love to help, and uh, I hope to see you out there. Let's take this outside. I think that's your tagline. Yeah, let's take it outside. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the best. Thanks for listening. For more Let's Take This Outside, go to letstakethisoutside.ca. The Podcast Super Friends is a monthly meeting of five podcast producers. 
Hi, I'm Catherine O'Brien from Branch Out Programs in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. I'm John Gay from Jagged Detroit Podcasts. I'm Matt Kundle from the Sound Off Podcast Network. I'm David Yes from Pod 617, the Boston Podcast Network. And I'm Johnny Peterson from Straight Up Podcasts. Together, they form the Podcast Super Friends, an alliance of podcast masterminds sharing best practices, insights, and discussions to help make you a better podcaster. Follow or subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or at soundoff.network. Produced and distributed by the Sound Off Media Company.